We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, welcome into another Buzz Beat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Lee today as we finished watching the Hornets get blown out by the Mavericks to finish their four-game preseason schedule. Technically speaking, kind of like the last game that we did, the game is not officially over, but uh, as we speak, the Hornets are getting demolished, and it's been very, very hard to watch. Lee, first off, the lights going out in the first quarter was a very symbolic event of this game and a very symbolic event of this Hornets offense tonight. Yes, the uh, the Spectrum Center was about as dark as the Hornets half-court offense um, this evening in that short spurt. You know, it. I mean, we talked about it a little bit before we came on, Richie. You know, no, no Rozier, no Hayward, no Oubre, and then... Bridges goes down in the first half and PJ Washington goes down in the first half. Obviously those are certainly probably some talking points for this episode, but I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I don't, I don't think you, you, you draw too many conclusions from this kind of horrid national TV game, even though it's really embarrassing and, and hard to watch. As you said, the only two like maybe slight concerns I would walk away with would be, even when the starters were in the game early, albeit like a very short spurt, it was ugly from the very beginning. So it wasn't like it was just the bench that got crushed. Like our starters did kind of get crushed early on. So that's that's not great, but but I think minor. And, th- and then, of course, just like the health of the team moving forward. And then like the energy just didn't look great either. The effort was subpar at best. I know it's tough when you're down 25 to run back on defense, but – yeah, you know, good team, good teams do that, even from a developmental standpoint. And I would have liked to see a little more pop from the guys, even even if they were getting beat bad. Yeah, it feels like maybe minus that game against Boston last year on ESPN. It feels like a lot of times when Hornets get on national television, they you know lay an egg, and it's not a good look for the national perspective. And everyone keeps saying, you know, 
Hornets need more national televised games. And I think a lot of Hornets fans are like, nah, we'll keep them on uh, Bally Sports and just listen to Eric Collins <laughs> yeah. because it feels like once when they get out there to the public eye, it just doesn't turn out good. And it's funny, you know, Zach Lowe came out with his league pass rankings. Did you see this where Charlotte finished up at? I did not. What, where, where, where? I love Zach Lowe. Where did so, they get him? Yeah, he had a couple of articles, like a two-part series on his league pass rankings. Charlotte came in at number five, and I don't think this is oh, obviously wow. a good showing, you know, the game after they released this article. But, you know, he cites, like, the ball movement, the passing. I think he even factors in the Eric Collins aspect mm -hmm. to it. <laughs> and I think, the, like, the vibe and the camaraderie with the team definitely is a factor as well. But after tonight's showing, I, I, I would – maybe assume that many people would say, hey, you know, that's a little bit too high for the Hornets. But again, to your point, they're missing a lot of key starters. You know, Oubre as well. Rozier is out. Hayward is out. But yeah, like you said, even when the start, the quote-unquote starters of this game were in, it didn't look all that pretty. A lot of turnovers as well. I think a lot, I think a lot of the ball movement and like the off-ball movement of this team early on, not necessarily like in the second or third or fourth quarter, it looked good to a point, but then at the end of it all, it would either be a, you know, a missed shot or a turnover, like I said. So the end product looked way uglier than maybe the, the process that led up to it. But again, like it was just, it was not a pretty look for this team. And to your point, the energy was just way, way, way higher on the Dallas side than the Charlotte side. Yeah, which is disappointing because we were, you know, we were in the Spectrum Center. And I and I did I did think Lamelo looked pretty good early. Um, he had a couple sloppy passes, and his issue tonight was he just really didn't finish at the rim very well. But in terms of like ISO creation, off the off the dribble, offensive creation, I, I thought he looked kind of just as just as um, bursty and unique as as we've come you know accustomed to with Lamelo. So that that's a bright spot. I do, I do want to say, and I, I'm kind of curious on your opinions as we've gotten a little bit bigger of a sample size. Like Mason Plumley has not looked great to me. You know, he's he's he has added a little bit of offensive connection on on kind of at the elbow spot. He's made a couple nice passes. He does suck up some defensive rebounds sometimes. And and, and maybe this is just kind of the Ubre thing too. They're going to have to get used to each other. You're working two new veterans in to like a core that already had a good bit of cohesion and chemistry. So it takes some time. I'm just, uh, I'm just a little reticent, like, and this is how I would, I would quantify it before I kick it over to you is like Cody Zeller minutes at the center position last year, treaded water. They were flat. Basically mm -hmm. they weren't, they were basically right at zero. Like I was kind of hoping that the Mason Plumley at the five minutes would at least be slightly positive and we wouldn't have to rely so heavily on PJ at the five for our, for our net positive lineups. And maybe I'm just slightly less optimistic on that than I was like a month ago. No, I, I would agree. And with any new player on the roster, like he's got to work his way in with the synergy right. with the other players and not having really played with the true starters for all that much because of these injuries and the health and safety protocols. Cause I think Plumlee was just coming back from that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think it might take some time. Uh, but Cody Zeller, you know, I, I think many fans are going to miss him more than yeah. they want to admit. You know, seeing him in Portland is just going to be such a weird sight more than <laughs> But I guess, you know, the one difference between Cody Zeller and Mason is Cody Zeller had this, like, um, 
this mentality about him that off, often led to some injuries and just like, you know, him yeah. getting banged up. But like he had this hard nosed attitude. Mason seems a little bit more laid back. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a good point. And you're right. Like Cody was kind of always banged up, but it was because he just played with reckless abandon for better or worse. And uh, I would agree that Mason is just kind of a different vibe or energy not necessarily good or bad it's just kind of his his predisposed like default uh, version out there is is a bit different than Cody's kind of hard-nosed attitude like you said and I think that's you know with the issue with that is is like when the turnovers do come because he had a couple of turnovers early in the game yeah. where he just passed it out of bounds when he was making a pass to miles that comes off as if not that he doesn't care but like it just seems lackadaisical at times. When when Cody would have a turnover, it would be because he was going way too hard or, you know, he was going way too fast. Like, I, I think sometimes as a fan, when you watch that, maybe it looks like Cody Zeller cares more. So maybe it's just a perception thing, but he definitely doesn't have, like, the high energy. But I do think once when they get, like, 10 to 15 games under their belt, I think yeah. that would be the appropriate time to kind of make that call, whether or not it's a net positive, a net negative. I personally don't think it's going to be, if it is a net negative, I don't think it's going to be a net negative by that much on the court to me. Yeah, that, that's that's my hope, too. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I also think tonight was just like a very telling version of why we rely so much on the on the shooting of, of Hayward and Rozier. Yeah. The half-court offense was just – it was a complete slog. The, you could tell that the Mavericks were just – I mean, they were just clogging up the lane, taking away driving lanes, daring the Hornets, kind of like non-to-average shooters to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, you know, they didn't make shots at a high enough clip to ever make the Mavericks kind of change that defensive strategy. I just thought it was really interesting to see a night with with no Hayward or Zier and for the offense to kind of – for the offensive flaws to stick out that noticeably. Yeah, I mean, it was exactly like last year. When one person goes down or 
you know, two players go down, it's a totally different team. And, yep. you know, again, Rozier means a lot to this team, regardless of how, you know, many flaws he has with his, uh, sometimes he over dribbles the ball. He's not the greatest of playmakers, but he does stretch the defense and, and create some kind of gravity there on the outside and from behind the arc. And one thing that I did notice with Charlotte, kind of going to your point to where Dallas was packing it in, daring Charlotte to shoot the ball, Charlotte is clearly going to go small a lot this season. And mm-hmm. it feels like they also went small again tonight. You know, whether <laughs> it was just personnel and they don't have the switchy players, I get it. Like, they don't have Ubre, they don't have Hayward, they don't have those players that can switch across a couple positions. But it felt like when Charlotte does go small it leaves them with a lot of mismatches. And a lot of times I saw Cody Martin on uh, Porzingis tonight. I feel like I saw Ish Smith on Porzingis tonight. So I don't know whether it was like, you know, not getting back on defense and that what that's what required that action to take place. But also too, I think if Charlotte is going to go small from time to time, which they will, they're going to have to live with some mismatches because what happened was they would double down Dallas would pass it out, and Charlotte would be in scramble mode, and it led to tons of open three-point shots and makes. Now, Dallas did shoot the ball very well from behind the arc, Mm -hmm. and I just think sometimes you might just have to bank on the opposing team not being that lucky from behind the arc, but it just feels like that's part of their DNA where they help maybe a little bit too much, Um, and I get it. They did not have the personnel tonight where they could switch a little bit more freely, but once when those prominent players come back, I would hope that part of their scheme is just, hey, maybe live with a little bit of a mismatch and try not to help so much because it does lead to that scramble mode, which Charlotte has that tendency to do sometimes. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. It, it, you know, this was a very evident flaw last year, particularly sticking out in my mind against uh, the 76ers in the couple games that we had with them last year where the and, – and obviously, like, there's uh, you could literally count on one hand probably the, the guys in this league that have a feasible chance against Joel Embiid one-on-one, and right. we don't have any of those players on our roster. But the, the point still remains, having to double the post just creates these kind of chaotic scramble situations that you just described where the Hornets are rotating out of the double and they're flying around like madmen trying to cover up shooters. And on nights when the opposing team, you know, shoots above league average, above 36% from three, it it becomes a real issue. And I think that's still a flaw of this team. We don't have that just massive kind of defensive anchor um, ability to guard opposing talented offensive centers. And and you even see it like on the deep on when we're on offense too, in games like tonight where, we did have like some scrappy kind of poke away and run them down offensive rebounds, but we were kind of like dominated on the glass. It felt like on both ends as well tonight. So yeah, I, I'm not sure that we have, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, I thought my eyes were like cheating me. Like ish definitely ended up on Powell and Porzingis and all these different posts, even Kleber at times. Um, so, but, but to your point, Richie, I think it was more of the lack of personnel than anything else besides the fact, the obvious fact that we just still don't have that like elite defensive anchor. I think some of the other issues though, will be a little less pronounced when some of those big switchy rings are back. Like you said, that's true. And 
kind of going off my last point about like helping down and, and just helping off of players. I've mentioned this a couple of times on Twitter, but one player that does a good job of that is LaMelo Ball. I, I think mm-hmm. uh, it feels like he's a free safety at times on defense. And he has a little bit of the tendency like Russell Westbrook does where he kind of kind of goes off his assignment a little bit. But I don't think he like zones out like Westbrook does where Westbrook might be focused too much on the ball and he loses complete sight of his man. I, I think he does a good job, LaMelo, that is, of timing it and knowing yep. that if he can come steal a pass or a lob or whatever it may be off of his assignment, he knows that he can either get back to his assignment or he's making the right call and getting the deflection. Because like Borrego and like LaMelo, they want to get that ball and jumpstart that offense. And I think it's obviously much easier to do that off of a steal than maybe a rebound where the defense can get set. So that's the one player that acted as that free safety on the back end. And, and he, he does it in a way where he knows that he can either get to the ball or deflect the ball. Or if he makes that risk, he can always get back as well. We've always talked about it last year too. He's so rangy with his, mm-hmm. length, with his length. And uh, I think on defense, we might see some plays this year from LaMelo that now he's not an all defensive player or a great defensive player. There's a lot of things that he has to work on, but he's going to get some steals. He's definitely going to get some steals. Yeah, I mean, he, I believe, led the team in steals last year at, like, one and a half. Okay. I I think, Richie, like, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, of course, on the ball, he still has a long way to go, and, of course, he still kind of gets um, mystified on, on where to run in rotation situations like, like all young players do. And the passing is probably always going to be, like, his iconic <laughs> quality that people talk about. But I actually think – a couple years down the road, as hopefully LaMelo is blossoming into a star, I think his defensive anticipation is going to end up being kind of one of those qualities that is synonymous with him. Because I see all the same flashes you see. I mean, it's, 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 it's derived from his same, like, intelligent basketball IQ as his vision. He's right. just incredibly cerebral and sees things before they happen. Exactly. So it's kind of the same... It's kind of the same power just on the other end. And, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And then uh, I would just go ahead and say it looks like we ended this one uh, final score 127-59, 68-point loss, if I'm doing my math correctly. Wow, that's that's quick math there, Lee. (laughs) Carry the two, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I can't confirm or deny, even though I'm a teacher. I cannot confirm or deny that. Yeah, let's see who our leading scorer was today. Was it was it Cody Martin? Let's see here. It may have been Cody. Oh, Book uh, Knight. Book Knight with twelve. So there we go. Two guys in double figures. Has Book Knight <laughs> led the team in scoring in three of these four games? I, I want to say he has. I mean, I know that's partly definitely due to the circumstance. Two. Yeah. Definitely two for sure. Maybe maybe a third. Yeah, maybe. Uh yeah, one twenty seven fifty nine is the final score. Uh one Ooh. thing or one other player that I at least want to get to before we wrap. It's a player that I know that we've mentioned before and a player that you actually support over Vernon Carey Jr., Nick Richards. He's it feels like he's getting that nod over him. And it's very telling that he's getting this playing time while Vernon Carey is not. And I I wouldn't say he's been all that great. I mean, he's been passable, I guess. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. nothing really noteworthy that stands out to me. I think he had a putback at one point in the first half. Um, his hands though are still a problem. And we saw that in summer league where, you know, if a quick bullet pass comes from LaMelo, 
which I don't know if they're going to be playing that much together, but if a quick <laughs> pass comes to him and he's not ready for it or he just can't corral it, it's going to be an issue, and it's going to be very similar to what we saw from Biz last year. What what did, I mean, before, before the Hornets, what did you see from Nick Richards that you liked, like, pre-draft, pre-draft, if you can kind of take yourself back? The main things that made me optimistic on Nick Richards' pre-draft was the fact that he was a really efficient rim roller at Kentucky. He was a really efficient rim protector in his junior year at Kentucky. Kind of all the run and jump, like, traditional athletic stuff I liked. And then the other kind of added piece that I liked is is the fact that he was a, you know, he was a 77% free throw shooter on pretty good volume his seat, or his junior year at Kentucky. He also shot the ball pretty well. Um, from a from a statistical standpoint, from the mid range at Kentucky, so I always thought that there was a chance that, like, in two to three years, Nick Richards could shoot like a de- decent percentage on like wide open corner threes. Um, that hasn't really materialized yet, obviously. And I agree with you that he's been probably serviceable at best. I think the one maybe distinction that has stuck out to me a little bit, and I think even Spencer tweeted about this a little bit is he has, he has been really active on the offensive glass. Yeah. Um, even if it's not him corralling it, he's like tipped a bunch of balls out to create extra possessions. So you're right. He's got bricks for hands right now. He's completely lost like when he has to reverse the ball from the top of the key and kind of turns the ball over up there a good bit too. So I wouldn't say I'm like bullish on Nick Richards. But, uh, but and last point, Richie, on this is last time we talked – I didn't think it was that big of a deal that he was getting the nod right, over right. Terry early in the preseason, but now it seems to be a consistent pattern. Like you said, it does seem like they're actually finally kind of picking one of these guys, and it seems to be Richards right now. Yeah. Pretty clear, pretty clearly. Yeah. And and you wonder if they're both gonna make the roster or what? Like I, I know, know that I know Wandu's not been that great, obviously. And no. Um, but again, like carrying Kerry Jr., Richards, and Washington, and Plumley on the roster just feels a little weird to me. But, Agreed. you know, I guess it doesn't really matter when you're talking about the back, back end of the bench there. So Vernon Carey Jr., Wessa Wundu, I don't think they're going to move the needle that much. But to your point, uh, he led the team uh, in offensive rebounds tonight. Nick Richards had four offensive rebounds and actually led the team in just total rebounds with nine. And last player that I would mention, uh, and if you want to, tell me anything that you learned about this game you can as well, is Jalen McDaniels. Jalen McDaniels had seven rebounds, the second leading player on this roster. And he's another guy that also crashes the offensive boards. He's trying to get any any easy points that he can, but he looked shaky tonight. I mean, I think the whole offense did, but he looked shaky tonight on offense. But still love his activity and his defense and his, like, want to to go after balls that are – maybe out of the range of those 50-50 balls that you know, a lot of players don't like to go after. So, again, just another player that I kind of have like a you know, like a little bit of a crush on here. But uh, <laughs> but one of nine tonight, but seven rebounds, yeah. which is always good. Yeah, I, I think, you know, tonight was just a classic example of McDaniels, unfortunately, and having to try to do a little bit too much. Um, he's so much more effective when he's kind of that fourth or fifth offensive option and he can utilize the the open jump shooting um the, the off ball cutting that, that you talk about sometimes sliding into space to, to finish tonight was just a you know unfortunately he was almost having to like 
play like a, like a playmaking two guard or something, which just isn't like a recipe for success for him. But he still, he still had some nice kind of um, dig in steals on the defensive end. He rebounds in traffic, like always. I, I'm, I'm optimistic that McDaniels can take a little bit of a step forward this year. My last thought, Richie, I think um, there's not a whole lot to learn about this one, but it looked like P.J. Washington's finger was fairly minor. I think Hornets PR even tweeted that he was available to return, but, like, of course, Borrego just didn't want to risk anything, I would imagine, with that. Bridges seems to – me, things seems to be a little less um, – Clear. Just unclear. Yeah, yeah just unclear. So they, they just said knee discomfort. He did come back out and sit on the bench and didn't have, like, any massive, like, you know, brace or, you know, stuff on his knee. So I, I guess that's optimistic. I'm going to I'm gonna take that away um, as, as optimistic, even if it's not. But I guess we'll probably, you know, we'll find out more tomorrow or later in the week. Less than a week uh, before the Hornets play their right. opener. And right. Rozier, I've heard, you know, the rumblings, he might not be available for that Indiana game to start mm. the season. So, you know, between Ubre and Rozier and Hayward and Miles Bridges' right knee, you just never know what this team is going to look like on opening night. But to our point with preseason and this game yep. specifically, you can take some things away from it because, uh, you know, the compete level or, or stuff like that. It, it was definitely, you can't just walk away with it saying, okay, it was just preseason. Let's just wipe our hands and say, right. but we're missing a lot of key components here. So, all right, to end this episode, you guys will get a short clip of me joining a podcast, which I joined on Monday, where I got to talk some Hornets. The full episode is on Beyond the Fences and their podcast feed, but here's a preview for you guys to check out as well. Yeah, and, and on Lamelo, I, th- I could be just quoting absolutely made up numbers here, but I'm pretty sure last season his jersey was selling down here more than Ben Simmons. And so if that tells you all you need to know about, I guess, how much both those players are rated in the Australian market, then... <laughs> Then yeah, um, yeah, no, definitely a huge fan base for him down here. Um, from a team perspective, I guess from the media or your fan base, or you know, however you really want to answer this, but obviously going into the season, there's usually one main narrative surrounding the team. So what is that for the Hornets? What's well, funny? You talk about Lamelo. I think that any story or any narrative that relates to him, I think it's going to be an interesting one to look out for and. It's cliche to say that, but I do think it's the development of LaMelo Ball as he heads into the season because last year he was drafted number three overall, but they still had Devontae Graham on the team, and Devontae Graham was the starter heading into the season, and he was coming off a season in which you know, most people probably should have argued that he should have won the most improved player uh, last or two seasons ago but he did not get enough recognition for it. So it made sense to kind of slowly work in LaMelo Ball, but now all eyes are on him. He's the guy as the Hornets head into the season. Uh, but for me, like he's, there's still a couple things that I think that he needs to make strides in in a variety of areas. I think his three-point shot will need to be a weapon for him as they continue to go throughout the season and force the defense to make a decision because I think right now, not that it's easy to defend LaMelo Ball by any means, but like if you're 
playing a pick and roll situation on defense. Like I, I think I would go under every single time and force them to pull up for that three because as teams went over last year on pick and rolls, it forced LaMelo into the paint. And I think that's where he does his best because he forces the defense to collapse and rotate and he can look off defenders with his eyes and find open three-point shooters, open cutters. So I think that three-point shot will force the defense into a decision, hey, now he does have a three-point shot. He's more consistent with it. And he, he did shoot the ball pretty well prior to his injury. His left, I think his left wrist, right wrist, I can't remember which wrist it was, but that caused him issues at the end of the season. I, I just think his development overall on the offense, offensive side of the court, clearly his passing and his playmaking is already there, but just little things like rim finishing. I, I think I, I think from the eye test, I thought he did a good job like in terms of you know, applying pressure at the rim and hitting difficult shots. But when I went back and looked at like the pure numbers, he was below average there. So just little things here and there on the offensive side of the court for, for Melo. I think individually, that's probably where the national media is going to look. But from like a team perspective, and I kind of talked about this at the top, like did the Hornets improve enough as a team? Because like I mentioned, Chicago got better with uh, Lonzo and DeRozan. Wizards added Dinwiddie and Kuzma and KCP. I think most people are split locally on whether or not the offseason for Charlotte was good enough. And I, I feel like I'm in that boat as well. I just can't lean one way or the other. So that's those those are the biggest storylines. LaMelo's development and then just overall, did Charlotte get better or better enough to um, you know outperform what they did last year? I guess on that token, then you're a little bit worried that this could be another season where Charlotte maybe they improve, but not to the net level of some of the other teams around them. And they're stuck in that kind of, you know, playing scenario, fighting for that plane. And then, you know, another season, I guess, basically the same old stuff, or is that not as much of a worry with, like you said, the youth being the main, I guess the key rotation guys this year. So you can kind of handle another season like that. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it feels like the, the timeline has been sped up a little bit because LaMelo came in last year and produced so well. Miles Bridges last season, um, he had great jumps and strides with his shooting off the dribble, his playmaking off the dribble. So it, it did speed up a little bit, but there was like a statistic out there that outside of OKC, Charlotte had like the most minutes of players like underneath like 25 years old or something like that. Like a lot of their heavy rotation players are younger guys uh, with Miles Bridges and PJ Washington and LaMelo Ball and uh, Terry Rozier. You know, he's not younger per se, but he's kind of in the middle. So there's there's not a lot of veterans on this team besides Hayward and, and Mason Plumley. So I think realistically speaking to your point, I, I think they're probably going to end up around the play in range which, you know, is kind of most most people think that's not a great place to land, but I don't think that harms them in any way in terms of moving forward. Like they're they're not gonna act in a rash manner and say, Oh gosh, let's just blow it up again. No, I, I think they're still gonna take the the patient approach and whatever happens, happens. Like, you know, they, they could maybe reach a higher end, like and and avoid the play in altogether and just make the playoffs without having to go that route. But also, too, to your point, like if they if they end up in that range, I, I don't think it has any effect on them moving forward. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. If this is your first time listening or if you haven't done so, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'll definitely read those on the next episode whenever they do come in. 
Also, too, we're going to be recording a season outlook podcast, which we'll be releasing uh, on Tuesday, the day before the regular season starts for the Charlotte Hornets. We did put out a poll on Twitter asking you guys if it would be okay if we put out more more content on an inconsistent daily schedule. And a lot of you guys, or the majority of you guys, said that you would actually prefer that. So instead of having one episode a week and it came out on a specific day, uh, you guys are okay with our schedule being a little bit inconsistent as so as long as you guys get more episodes. And I think you guys will enjoy that. So if we can get out two episodes a week or maybe three episodes you know, every two weeks, I think you guys would enjoy the content versus maybe having that regularly scheduled Wednesday episode. So, all right, guys, thanks again for tuning in. We will catch you guys next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.